The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We are in our second week of our sermon series, Better Together, and, um, and I want to introduce it to you this way. In our culture, we praise figuring it out by yourself, right? We hear talk often about being a team player, but in the end, the idea is reinforced. If you want to get something done, you need to do it yourself. And we strive to be self-made, self-sufficient, and form habits of putting ourselves first. In the Bible, God shows us a different way, though, a better way. In the very beginning, God made people to not be alone. We were made to live in deep and personal communion with God and one another. As a church, we are given the distinct role of showing the fullness of God to the world, but we can only do that together. Like it says in Ephesians, the very end of Ephesians 1, where it says that we, the church of Jesus Christ, are the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. Wow. In this sermon series, we'll explore the relationships and community as God has intended them to be better together. So last week, we looked at better by design. We were designed that way, and this week, we're going to look at better by choice. What does it look like to make the choice to be together? I want to give you a quick summary of of, uh, big themes in biblical history that show this. The first is, in the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, he came up with this crazy idea to create two people, one man and one woman, and (laughs) to create them to be in relationship with one another. The first time God ever said something was not good, this is significant, the first time God ever said this is not good was when he saw Adam by himself. And he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he created a helpmate, right? Eve. And the first thing we find when the fall happens, the temptation comes and the fall happens, is we find the collateral damage is relationships. Relationships between not just us and God and us and the thing we were meant to care for in creation around us, but massive collateral damage in relationship with one another. So God comes down and says, Adam, what happened? And the first thing he does is he blames Eve. Well, if you did not give me... Right? And it's so often what it looks like in our lives. Fast forward, another big theme in scripture, we have Israel. The people of God called out promise, not because they were the greatest or the biggest, but because they were actually the most insignificant, small, no one would like them people on the face of the earth. And so God chose them. That's what it says in the scripture. God chose them. He rescues them out of Egypt they show up after God like raining down like fire on Egypt and then them coming through the Red Sea and then they come to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And then all of a sudden, what happens? God comes down with fire and with his presence and the people never doubt again. No, Moses spends too long on the mountain and so they make a golden idol. They've just seen the presence of God. And then like a couple days later, they're like, I think they were bluffing. And so they, they form an idol and worship it. And 
collateral damage. Israel falls apart. Fast forward to the church. We see Jesus come, God in flesh, God with us, God in the neighborhood as we just preached about in the last sermon series through the book of John. Jesus dies with power, raises from the dead. He shows himself to over 500 people. These people, 120 of them gather in this room and the Holy Spirit comes with fire. And the church is launched. 3,000 people come to know and worship Jesus in one day. And the church then gets spread out throughout uh, the whole world, known world, right? At that time. But this is incredible. Acts 13, there's this scenario where they start praying, Lord, who should we send? And they, they choose Paul and Barnabas. It says that God showed them that Paul and Barnabas would be called to take his name farther into the world. And so they lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas. And you know what happens three chapters later? Well, in the meantime, they go and they preach with power. The church actually starts ripping apart. Should we be circumcised, not circumcised? And they give Paul and Barnabas the responsibility to go back to Jerusalem to figure out what should we do? And Paul and Barnabas come, and they're like these reconcilers of the church. But you know what happens the next chapter, chapter 16? Paul and Barnabas get in a little fight, and they chose to part ways. Relationship falling apart. We have an incredible history of brokenness, right? As the people of God, we, we can't just look at the world and say, look, they really struggle. But we look inwardly and say, we really struggle. In the words of the great American philosopher, Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. If, if my dad can quote Frank Sinatra. Um, so, but that's it. We feel over and over and over again, look, I did it again, right? Like, have you ever had that moment in your life where, where you, you, you're going strong, and you're like, I, I feel like I'm actually never going to make a mistake again. Like, I'm, I'm like three days in. <laughs> I haven't, like, said an angry word. And then all of a sudden, you, it's like you blacked out. And then you're like, what just happened? I was doing so well. Why is it so hard to be together? Um, an illustration I shared a couple months ago as I was speaking with Thrive, a, a young adults ministry, um, on Monday night. Um, I shared this story that I thought helped illustrate. It was the, the talk was, um, I love Jesus but hate the church. And, and oftentimes, because there's so much brokenness, and I think oftentimes when we say we hate the church, it's because we aren't thinking of our the ways we cause brokenness, we, we think of the ways other people cause brokenness. And so we're like, church is just a mess, right? Um, so the illustration I showed was, I want you to imagine it is, it is New Year's Day. You, you had a crazy night the night before, a lot of root beer floats, too many Skittles, right? But today, it's, an, it's a dawning of a new day. January 1st. And so you've decided that you are going to go to the gym. Not one of those cheap gyms that smell like sweaty feet, but you're going to an expensive gym, right? You're investing in yourself, okay? And so you go, and, uh, and you've bought all your workout gear. Um, it's fresh, right? You look good. It, it's like it actually has made you look more fit just wearing it. 
And so you go, you go in and, and you get, um, you, can, you kind of start warming up. You're in the corner, you're stretching. And you just start looking around at everyone who's there, right? You see this man who is on the workout bike. And, uh, and you try not to look, but you are. There's actually mirrors everywhere encouraging you to look. And, and so, why do they do that? And, um, and so he is like sweating. And there's this puddle forming around him. And you're like, okay, that area is quarantined. And, and then you, you, know, you look over there and there's this woman on like a stationary bike. And, and it, it sounds like a bear that just found honey. Right? It's just like noises coming. And you're like, what is going on? And you leave. Because you're like, these people are so out of shape. And, but that's what it's like when we go to church often. We've been inspired to go. We want to be better. We want to follow God better. Maybe you have a friend that invited you and you thought maybe this is your chance and so you're going to give it a shot again. Or maybe, maybe you've come for a long time but you've gotten really good at looking around at other people. You know, because of them. The, way, the reason why people do and don't go to church is really fascinating. Barna did a study um, recently that said it kind of breaks down into three categories. 30% of people say that attending church is important, and the reason they give for that is being closer to God. It's 44% of people. Um, a significant amount just say they go because of community involvement. Uh, 40% say they don't really care about church. They could take it or leave it. Um, 39% of those people say they simply find God elsewhere. Um, 31% say that church is boring, and so they go when they want to. They don't go when they don't want to. 30%, though, of, of Americans say attending church is not important. And this is really curious. It says not only because it's not personally relevant, they feel, but they say that 35% that moral failures of leaders, because of those people, um, are reasons why they don't go to church. 20% say God just seems to be missing from church. They, they show up, but doesn't seem like God shows up. And actually, a significant number also say that they don't feel like they're allowed to doubt when they go to church. They go to church, and they feel like they have to have the answers already. So, why do we do this thing called church? Why do we gather together? Why do we say it's better together? If it's so hard and those other people go. Um, and that's what we talked about last week. So if you want to know more, listen to last week's sermon online. But a quick summary in First in Peter 2 is, is this. This is the, the verses that were preached last week. First uh, Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Listen to this. It says that you may declare the praises of him you call, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why do we do this? Why are we gathering together? Because you are chosen people, not chosen by yourself. You might not have chosen the person next to you, but you know who did? God chose the person next to you. <laughs> and I was like, no, I like you, Michaela. <laughs> Um, you know, but it could be that you come in and that some of you literally are like, like you kind of sit and you can't wait till you get to leave again without talking to somebody. 
But those people around you are God's chosen people, God's special possession that he has called to declare the praises of his name. That's why we gather. Amen, right? That's, that's why we gather together because we cannot do that by ourselves. You are not a priest by yourself. You are a priesthood. And I loved it when I was talking about it last week. One of my sermon notes that I was taking, I said that worship... Like when I lead worship on the Sundays that I don't preach, when I am up here leading, I'm doing this among you. Not just in front of you, I'm doing it among you. Right? Because we are the priesthood. When I preach, what I am doing is I am helping show us God, right? By God's grace, many people speak through me that we can see him together. So you leave not going, those were nice words, but that is a great God, right? That's the whole goal because we, we are priests. And it could be that someone leaves with more encouragement from you sitting down with them and investing in their life than even me preaching. Amen? Right? That's, that's really important. And so the, the big idea is this. This is really important. The big idea for today is God shows that your investment or inactivity has significant impact on the health of your community. Your community, namely being the church here as we talked about today, your investment or inactivity has significant impact. If you're invested here, it has significant impact. If you are inactive here, if you don't engage, that is also very, very significant. So the big question is, what do we miss without you? We miss something without you. We miss something without you. So, so how is God inviting you to show up? In Philippians 2, where we're going to be today, 2, uh, 1 through 11, um, the context for this is, is Paul has just written and said that, that this church, these people in Philippi have been given the gift of suffering. The gift that he has been given, they're given this gift also suffering. Now, now this is an interesting way to think about it, um, suffering as a gift, but, but suffering is a gift in, in this way that, that the true you comes out, that you will be known in your suffering, your, your patience or your impatience, your kindness or your anger uh, will be known as you suffer. And there's a quote I read this last week that I want to share with you because I think it's very germane to what we're talking about here. It was a, from the life of a, a man named Charles Simeon. And, and uh, his prayer was, um, or, or one quote from him was, brothers, we must not mind a little suffering. His life was filled with suffering. Um, but in, in uh, a biography given by John Piper on it, this is what he says. He says, this is Piper speaking. What I have found, and this is what I want to be very, this is, this is what I want to be true for you as well, that in my pastoral disappointments and discouragements, there is a great power for perseverance in keeping before me the life of a man who surmounted great obstacles in obedience to God's call by the power of God's grace. 
Listen, he says, I need very much this inspiration from another age because I know that I am in great measure a child of my times. And I find this very much myself. I find oftentimes, though I can see and critique the culture around me, I'm very much a child of my own culture. It says, and one of the pervasive marks of our times is emotional fragility. I feel it as though it hung in the air we breathe. We are easily hurt. We pout and mope easily. We break easily. Our marriages break easily. Our faith breaks easily. Our happiness breaks easily. And our commitment to church breaks easily. We are easily disheartened. And it seems we have little capacity for surviving and thriving in the face of criticism and opposition. We break easily. And and I think we do. And when I say we, I am including myself in that. Um, I think when we are pressed and we hurt, we we pout easily. Um, One of the things that most profoundly impacted me from my time in Turkey was speaking to believers, thinking of Elijah and Paul, who we shared last night about, who... um, Paul, who his family, when he became a Christian, said either you leave our country or we kill you. Um, Or Elijah, whose family fled from ISIS. As I talked with them, there was not an ounce of self-pity. And it shocked me. I was waiting for, I was like preparing myself for them to be like, oh, life is really hard and you know, which was true, but I, it was kind of like this ex- response I would expect if I was in here, right? Not just here as a refuge, but like, we're, like what do we do? How was your week? Tired, right? Like, <laughs> that's me, right? We, we pout easily. And, and so what Paul says when he says that you've been given the gift of suffering, and, and when you experience life together, you will experience tension because people will... Whether they know it or not, they will treat you in ways that make you feel uncomfortable or awkward or belittled or not liked or an outsider or right, even here in the body of Christ. So what do we do? How do we interact with that? How do we choose to be together? And so this is what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And this is how it reads. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be gra- something to be used to His own advantage. That's what happens when you memorize something in a different translation. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on. A cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So there's three things I want to draw from this. 
Um, and I will, I will tell you, when I write sermon notes, I don't purposefully do three points every time. They just break down that way often, okay? Uh, so the, the first is, how do, we, how do we not break easily? How do we not break apart easily? And the first is this, choose your motivation. What motivates you? When Paul says, you've been given the gift of suffering. You've been given the gift of something that will, will tear you apart, potentially. How does he encourage you? He says, therefore, be motivated by the encouragement that comes from being united with Christ. Comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, and its tenderness and compassion. What motivates us to be together? I think what often motivates us to be together is these things. Maybe to better yourself. I want to be a better person. I, want to, I just want to be, I want to be nicer. I, it makes me happy when I am that way. Um, not being lonely. Some of us come together because we feel terribly lonely when we're apart and church just happens to be a place where everyone is gathered together and it's cheaper than getting a drink at the bar. Right? And so, right? I don't want to be lonely and so I come to where people are. Um, having something to do. It's possible that you, you want, just want to listen to someone speak for <laughs> half an hour. You just like that sort of thing, and it's cheaper than a college education. Um, maybe you come because you want to get smarter. You want to learn about a, the Bible, a book that was written a long time ago. Maybe you want to prove something, right? Maybe you come as a Christian because you want to prove that you are a good Christian or feel like you're doing well in your faith. Um, doing the right thing. Well, it is the right thing, and so I come. What is your motivation? What motivates us? And obviously those things I mentioned weren't good motivations, but what really should motivate the church of Jesus Christ? Because I think even those things I mentioned, they can, they can seep in or take over our motivations at some time. And what I mean by that is, if you remember when you first said, Jesus, I want to follow you, you didn't have to get asked to show up to church. You couldn't wait to hear about Jesus. Right? Someone said Jesus and you were like, what? Right? Like You were just interested because you were filled with the encouragement of Christ. And I love the way he starts it. He says, if you have any encouragement, church, have you been encouraged by Jesus? Gosh, what encouragement have we not been given by Jesus. I think of when he, go, he goes right into any comfort from his love, right? This is incredible. We have been loved with an everlasting love. <laughs> That's the way the Bible talks about it. When Jesus says, I love you, I want you, he proves that by going to the cross for you, right? By giving his life. Greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friend. And it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he is crazy in love with you. If you've had any encouragement from Christ, think about those things. And so the, the thing is, church, think, think, think about this. Ephesians, Philippians 4, 8, it says this, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, think about those things. And so he's saying, get your mind in the right place. Have you been encouraged? Well, dwell upon the encouragement. Right? 
sometimes we just dwell upon the most stupid, morbid things, right? Self-pity or whatever, whatever it is. We dwell on those things when, when Christ has given us the world, literally, the world, right? When the kingdom comes, the new heavens and earth comes, we're with him. It even says in Revelation, he's going to like let us like take turns climbing up on the throne just hanging out with him. Like, like that is literally what it says in Revelation. He's gonna, if you have any encouragement, if you've heard these words, hold them and don't let them go. Have you been comforted by his love? In what ways have we not been loved? In what ways has Jesus not proved his love for us? But again, I think we let those things go very easily. A common sharing of the spirit. That means there's a lot of ways that you are different from one another in preferences, and I would even say probably theologically from one another. But that does not mean that the same spirit is not teaching and shaping us in different ways. What does that mean? That means that each of us are maybe in a different place of formation. And are you going to look at the... Remember a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on comparison. It says the world breaks down oftentimes into three, three different groups of people. Right? The people that are better than us, the people that are worse than us, and lonely me. Right? That's this, that's this comparison. Either there's people better, worse, or like, well, I'm just by myself. Right? But that's, that's often the way we feel is Christ is forming us. And so we'll look at others and be like, maybe you just learned something. Isn't this amazing? We learn something and then someone else comes and they're like, guess what I just learned? And we're like, that's ridiculous. I, just, I can't believe you didn't know that already. Right? You like, <laughs> I remember hearing the stand-up comedian talk about, he, he was on a plane and and the, they were like, we're testing out our new um, Wi-Fi. And so, so he like bought, brought his computer and they were like using Wi-Fi. And like 10 minutes in, they were like, sorry, we had problems, no more Wi-Fi. And the person next to him was like, what? Like 10 minutes ago, you didn't even know it was possible. <laughs> but but that's, that's the way it is for us, right? What does it look like to have a common sharing in the spirit, that this, the spirit who who is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? What does it look like to share those things rather than just share your brilliant ideas? Maybe share love first or joy first, right? Wrapped in, because he is the spirit of truth, but not the spirit of banging your truth over someone's head. (laughs) That wasn't one of the fruits of the spirit. Uh, Then, any tenderness and compassion, Guys, have you been changed? Can you look back on your story? Maybe you are not where you want to be, but if you look back last year, can you see how God has shaped you? What I love doing when I sit down with people one-on-one and they're discouraged is going, no, I remember you three years ago. Believe me, I'm encouraged. <laughs> right? Like, like God is doing stuff in us, but we are so caught oftentimes in the moment that we don't, know how to break out. We don't have to see. And sometimes we need people sharing with us. Guys, choose that. Choose your motivation. And then it says, then to have the same mindset as Christ. So then Philippians uh, 2, 3, if we can go to the next verses. Choose your mindset. Uh, the way it says it here is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourself and it's an interesting translation here in the NIV, value others, because most other translations 
refer to the mind like, and the NASB says, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. In humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourselves. And so he first then addresses what your mindset should not be. The way you're thinking should not be. And these these two things, selfish ambition or vain conceit. What is selfish ambition? Well, often it is this. We do not act out of love for one another, but we put ourselves first, desiring preeminence. We want to prove ourselves in our position our desires to be acknowledged, and if we are not acknowledged, we take our ball and we go home. Right? If you're not going to see things my way or go in the direction I'm going, then I am out. That's what selfish ambition is. With this mentality, it is never enough to just know Christ because you will always want Jesus to fulfill your ideas. What is vain conceit? Vain conceit is wanting to look impressive, having an unhealthy self-preoccupation. I am really convicted by this one because I don't think of myself as being vain, but I am in that when I have a spare moment, I am being self-critical. And so it's an unhealthy preoccupation with myself. That was, I actually didn't even choose to be that. I wasn't thinking about being a confessional in this moment. But, but really, like, like, what is an occupation? Occupation is, is what we do. It's the work. It's the labor of our hand. And a preoccupation with self is this, that we literally see our lives work is to be looking at ourselves. And he said, that is not the mindset you should have. So what is the mindset you should have? Well, he says, rather, in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. It's a mindset of humility, and humility is not devaluing yourself. A friend reminded me of a Lewis quote this last week, which is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And what this looks like is this, assuming the best of other people. The greatest threat, this is important, listen to this, the greatest threat to community and communication is the assumptions that we bring to the table. The greatest threat to your relationships and the way you speak with others is the assumptions that you bring because what those assumptions often are or is this this person does not value me, this person does not understand me, this person meant to hurt me, this fill in the blank, right? I had a conversation with my brother this weekend. I said something that was just, I just, I said something to him that was hurtful and he wrote me an email that was hurtful and we were in this like, you know, like stalemate, right? And, uh, and both these completely unintentional. Complete, both of us thought we were doing the right thing and saying what we said, but that it was hurtful. And, uh, and I wrote him back and I said, I, I know that you care for me. And so with that 
thought I wrote the email and there was reconciliation. It was really beautiful. But I had to overcome that feeling of like, he meant to hurt me. <laughs> he, of course he didn't mean to hurt me. I know he loves me. But oftentimes those assumptions and, and coming from a lot of times our insecurities or those things that we feel, the things that we bring in from years of brokenness will come in. So this has happened to me. Sometimes I've been in friendship with people for a long time, a long time. We've known, we've, we've walked together and all of a sudden I'll say something or do something because I'm an idiot sometimes. And, and what happens is in a moment, it's like those five years just vanish. Right? And you're like, Wait, we, we've walked, right? So how do we be people who in humility value or have humility of mind to think of others as better than ourselves? We're going into conversations that way. Guys, that's a game changer. And so what does that even look like? Well, third point, right? Choose your model. Who is our model? Our model is Jesus. Our model is Jesus. Jesus is not a fantasy because there's a lot of models you can choose that are fantasies. Um, uh, there's a, a pastor that I remember a number of years ago that uh, preaching and preached very effectively and well, they, um, they had a tendency to belittle people though and that, that really had a, a massive impact on the people that admired their teaching. When you admire somebody and you're willing to be given to the fantasy that they are better, you know, that they are, they're just God's voice. And I remember after a while, um, it really hurting other people in the ministry because they tried imitating not just the good qualities, but also the, the bad qualities, right? So in choosing your model, choose Jesus, right? <laughs> Because even in imitation, I was thinking this last week even of Mother Teresa, who I love and I think is a good model for a lot of things. And somebody asked me about her diaries where she felt very alone and apart from God. Even Mother Teresa needed Jesus to be her model, right? And so as we choose our model as Jesus, this is how it describes him here in verses 5 through 11. Jesus, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And so how do we learn humility from Jesus as a model? That means Jesus was wiser, more capable, a generally just a better guy than you. <laughs> right? He was God. And yet he did not use that to his own advantage, but he used it to your advantage. And so it's going on, it says... Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so he chose to be beneath you, lifting you up towards the Father, right? Giving you, and that's what it says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Jesus chose his, Jesus could have said, I don't want them anymore. And he would have been justified in that decision, but he decided to say, I want them. Like, they're mine. I like these people, right? And so he, he chose to have them with him. He used that by making himself, he did that by making himself nothing and taking on the very nature of a servant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what happens when 
we have the mind of Christ, when we are motivated by these things, what happens is God's will is done. Jesus knew he could entrust himself completely to the Father, that he didn't have to prove himself in the world and become something by his own strength. But all he had to do is serve others, submit to the will of God, and God exalted him. God kept him. And God can also keep you. And so, as we choose one another... We've not just been called together, called by design. We are not just together by design, but we are together by choice. Because, and that's why Paul's writing this. He goes, because you can choose to keep breaking things or we can learn to be people like Jesus who in humility we seek reconciliation. So, what's our big idea? Choosing to invest or choosing to be inactive. And one of those is going to make a significant impact on the community around you. The, the last thing I want to share is a simple illustration that maybe will help um, you can take with you. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, like, sw- I love swimming in lakes. Um, and if you go out to, like, Wildcat Lake, I remember this because I got in trouble for this all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, Wildcat Lake, they have this swimming area, and they have buoys around the swimming area. And if you'd swim out and you would sit on the buoys, it was kind of nice because you could just sit there, you know. And they'd always yell, like, get off the buoys. Right? You're going to drown yourself. And, um, but what happens with buoys is, right, when one is is pulled down, all the other ones around it will go down with it. And, and what I imagine, because you kind of feel it, like if, if you're on those buoys and you kind of slip a little bit, they'll just bounce right back up. And it, I imagine those buoys next to that one buoy you're sitting on being like all their force is like pulling up, right? That's literally what happens though in a community is that if you are in a community and you are inactive, you are pulling down the community around you. And that sounds harsh, but it is just the truth because you're showing up, and, but you're not showing up, Right? You're showing up and you're taking. That is just the reality of what's happening. But what's happening is the people that are invested around you are like those buoys around you, like pulling up, like trying to make you not submerged anymore. Like that's what we are. And so what would it look like for all of us to be pulling in the same direction? And what that would look like is this, Christ healing community. Right? That is the mission of our church, to be people who are motivated by the encouragement we found in Christ. Our mindset is switching to humility because we have the model of Christ. We're thinking well of others and not poorly of others. And so we are pulling one another up. We're pulling one another towards the surface to worship God together. Guys, it is possible because Jesus did it and he invites us to be a part of that. Amen. Pray with me. But God, we need you. I think we, we just need you so much even in processing these things and the beauty that is made available to us in Christ Jesus.
Because we want to take this and we want to doubt it. We want to say, no, healing and restoration is not possible because of what I've experienced. But God, we've also experienced you, knowing that we have been forgiven and freed by the blood of Jesus. And we've been made full partakers in that and full partakers in your family. God, I pray that each of us from today will be finding ways to love and invest in the people around us. And we will not relent until we have the ability to to love. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.